You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. Um, man, it is great to be with you. Real quick, before we get into our Bible study and jump in, we love going through the books of the Bible. We're in the book of Exodus, and um, chapter 29 is where we find ourselves tonight in a series called God Redeems. So if you have a Bible, this is going to be necessary. We will have points on the screen, but the reality is, is there's just so much text, 40, oh man, 43 verses. No, that's, that was last week. That was the garments. Tonight is, is 46 verses. But I just love that. I love how we teach through the Bible and some of these things. And, and I know that it's been a lot um, going through Exodus. Some people are like, when are we going to be done with Exodus? When we're done, when we go through. Like next week, we'll do the next chapter. There are 40 chapters, so we're getting close, okay? It is a lot. But the reality is when we think about how God redeems us and walking with us, there's a lot to say. God is a God that speaks, and when he speaks, he brings forth life. And he has directed people, and we look to these these stories to see his character, his goodness. And I hope that you would have been gleaning a lot and learning a lot. And there's a lot more teaching in this series and especially in this section because um, it's, it's a little bit removed from us. We're years away, thousands of years, speaking of the Israelites and a Jewish nation. So we have to understand culture and context and all of these things. But I'm so grateful that God walks with us in our faith journey that we can grow, that we can learn, and we can study Scripture together, and that His Spirit speaks to us. And so tonight, I'm entitling the message, The Consecration of the Priest. The consecration of the priest is what's happening in chapter 29. And consecration is a hard, more of a fancy biblical word, but it actually means to dedicate or to be made holy. God is giving them instructions of how to officiate this and ordain these priests to do the work. He wanted to set them apart, to purify them, to sanctify them, or appoint them to do this good work. And so this is what's happening in this chapter as we go through all these details, and I sort of give you these headers, that these priests were called to do good works just like you and I are called to do good works when we put our faith in Jesus. In fact, the New Testament says that we are a royal priesthood. And so we have to actually understand, well, what did the priests do? Why are they wearing these garments? How are they actually commissioned? And it isn't a quite quick and easy thing to do to take time to walk in purity, to be sanctified. Uh, this isn't just you say a prayer and you're done. We get to walk with God and serve God. And the Bible says that actually we could know God and we bl- were blessed because of it. And so we look at these principles. One, one way that I was thinking about it is we are saved immediately, made Uh, declared righteous before God when we put our faith in Jesus. But it actually takes a whole life to continue to be saved. That God saves us from ourselves, our flesh, our sin. It's It's a process of sanctification that God separates us and purifies us. And Christians, man, we are not perfect. And in this life, we battle the flesh, we battle sin. But there will be a day that we will be saved from sin forever, glorification in heaven. And so we need to wrestle with this redemption that we have, not just looking to heaven and thinking, okay, I'm just waiting, or I said a prayer 20 years ago. What about the here and now? Because God cares about the here and the now. Another way to put it is we have been saved from the penalty of sin because of the cross of Christ. We are being saved from the power of sin because Christ is in us, and we will be saved from the presence of sin forever in eternity because of Jesus. And so it's wrestling with this redemption of walking in our, in our calling. And this is a part of our redemption, a slow walk. It's not a marathon. 
having our identity wrapped up in what God says and by faith declaring it. If you actually understand the Bible, a lot of the books of the Bible are like that. Like Ephesians, the first three chapters are filled with a whole bunch of theology and it talks about God. All spiritual blessings are Him. You're saved by grace through faith. And it just goes on the mystery of the gospel. And then chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, because of this, now walk in a worthy manner that you've been called to. So hey, be be a good husband. Be a good wife. Submit to one another. Be loving. Be kind. And it starts giving all this practical stuff. God is a God of the, the practical. But he has spoken and said you are loved. You've been adopted. You're family. Your sins are forgiven. So, so walk as family. Walk as a son and daughter. Walk as one that's loved. Don't buy into the, the lies. Buy into the truth. Apply it to your life and be blessed. And so this chapter, God is going to give instruction to consecrate them, to set them apart, to, to remind them of this beautiful calling and the things he's spoken over them. And he's going to allow them to publicly walk in their calling. And this section is also sort of parallel with Leviticus chapter 8 because they carry out this ritual in Leviticus 8. Remember, this is instruction from Mount Sinai that Moses is getting from God and he's telling Aaron and the people and then they're actually going to apply it out like Leviticus and um, Numbers, your guys' favorite books of the Bible. Of course, right? My wife goes, I can't believe you snuck in a study of Leviticus and Numbers with us. You darn right I did. We study the Bible. We love it. All right. Verse 1a. Let me just start here. and We're going to read. I have a few verses in the beginning on the screen. But again, if you have a Bible or if you don't own a Bible, even in the connection card, man, they're free. You can have one. You can go on your smartphone. Um, But verse 1a says this. Now, this is what you shall do to them, the priests, to consecrate them that they may serve as priests. Now, although this may seem a little, again, removed from us because we're in the new covenant, um, we also have rituals as Christians, uh, sacraments that we actually outwardly do from a faith inside of us, Um, things that God declares that we should do by faith. One we do every week, communion. Communion is one where we actually physically remind ourselves this great truth that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and rose again, and is coming back again. And this body, is, is the bread is significant of his body being beaten. The juice is significant of his blood being shed. And this is a physical reminder that we are saved by grace through faith. This would be a sacrament or a ritual or something that we do that God instituted to remind us of a spiritual truth. This is what's happening here. God wants to remind them of spiritual truths because just like you, just like me, I go in this physical body and I do my thing and I get caught up and I even forget the spiritual realm because it's not in front of me. We live by faith, not by sight. We also have another sacrament or ritual, you may say, of baptism. We actually immerse people in water by faith. Peter says if there's no faith, then you're just getting clean. You're just taking a bath. But actually, it's a picture of Jesus dying in the grave and then rising up and having our identity with him, a public declaration of, I believe in Jesus, I want to follow him, and a celebration that I believe that I'm saved by grace through faith. Rituals, physical acts, like Carrie so beautifully said last week in the message, our faith has works. What we believe affects our behavior. And and God, from day one, 
will speak words, but then he also wants us to practice these words, to incorporate these things into our life, to renew our minds so that our bodies would manifest the faith that we have. And so he's saying, hey, I want you to commission them. I want you to set them apart. I want this to be a public thing to actually do the work. And I would encourage you, if you haven't been baptized, to take that step of faith. We have handouts on the connection card of explaining what that is. Uh, to know that you can actually walk out your faith is so important to have people in your life and community to help you in that. It's so good. And so both of these sacraments are all about God's grace and also about our faith, how we respond. And we've talked a lot about God's grace in this text as God is now dwelling with sinful people in the tabernacle. And so verse 1 through 3 continue to go on and God gives them the ingredients needed for this public demonstration, okay, for this concentrate, uh, consecration. He says, take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers serve, are smeared with oil and you shall make them of fine wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket and bring the bull and the two rams. Now, when I read this, I think, thank God for his grace. <laughs> because it may be a little confusing. I don't understand this. It's a little bit removed. But God knows exactly what he's doing in the picture he's painting by giving this stuff to them. And it helps me think even now, you see, when God speaks his word to me now and I read something, thank God for his grace. I don't have to understand everything to obey everything. As a matter of fact, the Bible says to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. What he's about to do and what we've been studying with all these sacrificial systems is one that points to Jesus thousands of years later and they would not comprehend or understand. But yet, how often do we get a verse like forgive someone and we don't understand and like that in our flesh? But yet God has a plan. He knows. He wants that. And so I, I love that even briefly looking at these supplies, it points to some powerful truths. We've looked at this, but, you know, one, we see sacrifice is important for their calling. The, it says one young bull, two rams without blemish. Uh, one commentator said the, uh, the ceremony for consecration required animals intending for sacrifice. Consecration couldn't happen without shedding sacrificial blood. There, there had to be shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. Unleavened bread and unleavened cakes, uh, it says the ceremony for the consecration had the bread for fellowship with God. Consecration couldn't happen without true fellowship with God. You see, both you and I, we need the blood of Jesus, but also the fellowship of Jesus to truly be holy, to truly be set apart. It's not just that God forgives our sin, but our sins are forgiven so his spirit could dwell with us and we now walks with us. And that's what makes us holy and transforms us. As Moses went up to the mountain, the presence of God, he became more like God and radiant. And the Bible says, just like you and I. God doesn't just want you to try harder or do better. He wants you to know him so much so like a best friend. He'll influence you for the good. And so we need the shedding of blood, but we need the fellowship of God. And both are found in the gospel. They're ingredients that we need. We need Jesus. And all of these things, as we study through the sacrificial um, system, they all point to Jesus, just like the tabernacle. So 
Now we're going to briefly look at the significance of this instruction. And I, see, I say briefly because I could look at each little paragraph and go for about an hour at depth into it, as you all know, okay? But um, in order for us to actually get through the book and in our time allotted it for a service, man, I, I, I sort of have to like sort of sum it up. And I came across a great outline, Warren Wiersbe. He's a great commentator that I like. He gave this good outline, I think, that we can follow um, for this text as we read along and just sort of get the heart of this text. Uh, he said this in his commentary, God commanded that the high priest and his sons participate in a public consecration service that would set them apart as God's servants. There would be at least seven stages in this service. And so what I want to do is I want to break down these seven stages of consecration in this text so we can receive this text and it be a little bit palatable to us uh, as we study and go together. And so we'll just briefly break it down And I want to sort of give you the point, but I also want to give you an application question too as we walk along and learn these principles. So first thing is this, the priests were washed. In verse 4 of this chapter and and implemented in Leviticus chapter 8, verse 6, the first thing that they would do is they would be washed. Verse 4 tells us that. Um, I don't have the verse, but I'm going to read those verses along as we walk through this. Uh, It says, You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. The first thing Moses was instructed to do was to cleanse the priest. And this didn't happen inside in a private room uh, in the, the tent of meeting, but it was outside where all of Israel can see, outside of the tabernacle. Uh, This was a humbling thing that people could see, to be bathed, to be recognized. I I am dirty. I need cleansing. And they couldn't do themselves. They had to receive this washing, and they didn't wash themselves. And this is actually a picture of God cleansing us from our sins. Uh, One commentator said, sin is pictured by many things in the Bible. Sin is the rebellion against God, or here's the standard, and you you miss that standard. There's a a line, and you cross that line. And it's pictured in in many things in the Bible. It's pictured as disease in the Bible, Isaiah 1, 4 through 6. It's pictured as darkness, 1 John 1, 5 through 10. It's actually pictured as being like drowning, Psalm 130, verse 1 through 4. Even pictured as death, 1 John 5, 24 and Ephesians chapter 2. But frequently, often in the Bible, sin is pictured as dirt or defilement. Give you a couple of references. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16 and 18. Jeremiah 4, 4 4 through 14. 2 Corinthians 7, uh, 1. Hebrews 9, 14. James 1, 21. James 4, 8. This is about the time where you start thinking, I should probably take notes in church. Yes, you are right. Because we can't look at all those verses, but I want to get you this overfill that there is a picture of sin and defilement and dirt. And so when Aaron and his sons were washed all over, it was actually symbolic of a complete cleansing for them and from the Lord. Those who trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, actually get a complete inward cleansing from God himself as well. But notice, we cannot be cleansed from our sin without first being humbled. It was outside, and it was sort of a humbling thing. They had to go and publicly confess their sin. Jesus said he wants us to publicly confess our sin, to turn to him, that he poses the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
And so the way that we're washed in our salvation is actually asking God and saying, God, I, I need you to cleanse me of my sin. Can you forgive me? And the great news is the Bible says that he will. He does. You can be forgiven. You can experience grace. You can receive and ask Jesus. In fact, Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 says, Jesus is called the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, and it says he loves and washes us from our sins with his own blood. The reason that the cross is so significant because there is a washing, a cleansing, and you can go to Jesus for forgiveness because of the work that he did, and all of these rams and lambs and sacrifices and all this stuff points us to this fact that Jesus is the one that we can go to. This is very important because if you don't go to Jesus to be forgiven, what will you do with your sin? The Bible says that there's consequences for sin. The wages of sin is death. So unless you turn to Christ, what do you do with sin? But once washed, you can actually serve the Lord and know God. Just like these priests, they would be washed and then what would they do? They would enter into the tabernacle and the text says they would dwell with God. That's what tabernacle is, dwelling place with God. People need to know that this is good news. You can have a relationship with God, not because you try hard or or do much, but when you receive washing from the Lord, and God has given that through his son. And this was a one-time thing that happened before they went in. So the question I have for this is, is just a simple one. Like, are you saved? Have you been cleansed? Have you humbled yourself enough to just say, Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins? The Bible says if you do that, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and all unrighteousness and cleanse you. You don't have to try harder, do better. You just have to ask and receive. And it's the work of Jesus that saves. For the Bible says if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, you will be saved. That Jesus died and he rose again. And he has the power to do that because he gives life. And he promises that. So they were washed. But they weren't just washed, they were clothed. The priests were clothed. Now this is verse 5 and 6, 8 and 9, 29 and 30. I'm going to read those verses real quick. But it's also something that we've been studying in even last chapter, so I won't go too much in detail with this. But I do think it's important to know because it just doesn't stop with our cleansing with Christ. In verse 5 and 6, pick up the text, it says... um, Then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastplate and gird him with skillfully woven band of ephod. And you shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. You shall, uh, well, verse 7, we'll go through 9. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put coats on them. And you shall gird Aaron and his sons and with sashes and bind Uh, caps on them and the priest shall be theirs by a statute forever thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons drop down to verse 29 and 30 it says the holy garments of Aaron shall be for his sons and after him they shall be anointed in them and ordained in them and the son who succeeds him uh, as priest who comes into the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place shall wear them seven days now Moses is told that they should be clothed, his brother Aaron, his sons, with these holy garments. This is what 
The hour Bible study last week or two weeks ago was all about chapter 28, the significance of this. Uh, Warren Wearsby in this commentary, he said, in scripture, the wearing of garments is a picture of the character and the life of the believer. We are to lay aside the filthy garments of the old life and wear the beautiful garments of grace provided by the Lord. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 32, where it talks about put on the Lord Jesus Christ and take off this and put on these things. Or Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Christ has taken away our dirty rags and given us a robe of righteousness that, we, that he purchased for us on the cross. And we studied that and took communion with Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10, or that beautiful great exchange that happened on the cross, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Another commentator, David Guzik, said, these ancient priests, uh, like these ancient priests, every believer is clothed in Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Revelation 3.5. These are clothes that are given freely by Jesus, but received and worn by faith. Here, here's my words, if I could break this section down. Continue in Jesus and rely on him continually. Not just a one-time prayer, but put on the full armor of God. Jesus himself as you live for him. We could never be effective for God without abiding in Christ, without going to him and daily getting our strength from him. And so some of you are thinking, wow, you said that in like three minutes. Why didn't you say that last week? You took an hour. Because there's a lot more in there, but you can go back to the podcast and listen to it. But the question I have for you is this, are you abiding in Christ? Are you clothed in Jesus? Do you understand that he gives you his righteousness? He takes our sin, the Bible says. The Father who made him, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteous of God. God, Jesus, gives us his righteousness, and he takes on our sin and our debt. But are you abiding in that? Are you, are you believing that? What does that look like for you to abide? The spiritual disciplines, to, to pray, to study the word? Like, what, what does that look like for you? Are you doing it? Don't forget that you still need Jesus as a Christian, that he wants a relationship with you. And so the priests, they were clothed in these garments and were to be clothed in Christ. To have that truth reflect our life that, man, the Father looks at me as righteous. Not because I'm awesome, but because Jesus is awesome. And his blood covers me and he loves me. So I'm going to act like I'm loved. He's a good God, and I'm going to believe that. Next, the priests were anointed. There's that little verse in 7 that sort of briefly was read, but I think we should stop real quick to highlight that because it's found in verse 7 and 21. I'll read 7 again. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it out on his head and anoint them. Then in verse 21, it says, uh, Then you shall take part of the blood that is on the altar and the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and on the sons and his sons' garments with him. He and his garments shall be made holy and his sons and his sons' garments with him. Now in the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings, they were anointed with oil. And it was always symbolic that God had granted them this position through the Holy Spirit. And it was a picture of the Holy Spirit of God's power and um service to the Lord. Uh, we read about this in like Isaiah chapter 61, and then Jesus comes on the scene in his ministry, opens the scroll in Luke chapter 4, and then says, the Spirit of God is fine. He finds the passage, says the Spirit of God is on me to do this work. We need the Holy Spirit to do the work of God. 
And oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit, and Aaron and the priest, they would be completely covered with it. It's like, imagine if you overdid it with the Old Spice cologne. (laughs) You would know that they would be coming. So much so, Psalm 133 talks about unity and how beautiful and a fragrant it is to the Lord that it's actually like oil running down from Aaron's beard going into the collar. It wouldn't be just like a little dabble. It'd be like pouring all over them, immersing them. It was an illustration that you were surrendered, that you are covered, that God would affect your life. And the fragrance of Christ would be on you and it would be a good thing and there was a great measure of it. You didn't have to worry about taking too much. You ever do that, like rations? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like if you have like that, just that weird spot of deodorant where you're like, oh my gosh. Uh, or, if, oh man, there's just not enough milk there. I don't know. It's the, uh, the half of the bowl. Come on, you guys act like you. I know there was a holy moment. We're talking about the blood of Jesus. Now I'm talking about cereal. I get it. But this is how you can get the life together, man. You ever had that, like the ration of like, oh, I don't know, oh, I, bet, I better ration, I don't know, I, oh man, there's only one chicken breast and I have a whole family and how do we separate this? It's not like that with the Holy Spirit. God says he gives freely, without measure, liberally, generously. You can have all the strength that you need in God. You can just keep on going and asking and asking and asking and asking and like not even day to day, but moment by moment for God's strength and he will meet you there. So much so that he will actually give you the power and strength to walk in the hardest things of life and you will bear much fruit. You see, just like the priest, the, the, every believer now has this anointing on their life through the Spirit. 1 John 2.20 says this, that God actually gives us his Spirit to empower us. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 through 22. It says, is it, uh, it is God who establishes us with you in Christ, and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. I think sometimes we forget that we can have a relationship with God because we are the royal priesthood. We have a special task from God, and God does just tell us to go do something on our own strength. He actually says, and I'll meet you with that. You can receive that. I want to make sure that you know that God has freely given us his spirit. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 11, Jesus said, you can ask and you can receive. You can knock and the door will be open. You can actually go. And this is when we have these seek nights or, or afterglow services to be baptized with the spirit, to be filled with the spirit, to take time and worship. And we sing these songs like, God, fill me. Do not be filled with alcohol, which is a debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. God wants to walk with you, empower you, and this is a sign of the priest doing this stuff. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, have we received the Holy Spirit? Have you asked God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, for help, for anointing, for strength, for transformation, to empower you? The disciples had this great mission to go reach the world and make disciples, and Jesus like, just wait. You need strength from me, my spirit, Go and wait. And then what happened? The Holy Spirit came upon them. And so we need to be filled and refreshed by the Holy Spirit, His anointing, and just simply ask. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes it's not. But it's God, and He works how He works, and He gives promises for us to claim and to walk in. And you see, the priest could ask, and you and I can ask, to be forgiven, because sin separates us from God, 
But once sin uh, is forgiven, we actually are in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And it's a much easier relational thing than you may think. He hears our prayers. He knows our hearts. He knows our struggles. So go to him. So the priests were anointed, but they were also forgiven. Verses 10 through 14, the text continues on. Then you shall bring the bull, uh, yep, then you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting. Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and shall take the part of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger, and the rest of the blood you shall pour out at the base of the altar. And you shall take all the, fl- the fat that covers the entails, entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that is in on them and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull and its skin and its dung you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. It is a sin offering. Uh, this was a sin offering explained in Leviticus chapter 4, which we talked about, where a bull was slain to atone for the sins of the people and the priests for them to do this work. Now, um, if you notice, the priests needed this as well. It wasn't just the people, the priests, the leaders, the people that were doing the work of God needed forgiveness of God. This is so important for us. We can't just think, well, now we're Christians, we're just special people. No, Christians are just sinners saved by grace. And it doesn't matter if you're a pastor or you have a great ministry or you have the ministry of doing something you think is insignificant or small. Listen, there's nothing better than doing what God's called you to do. If God's called you to do something, it's not small. Being a mom, being a dad is not small. You don't have to have a stage, okay? God has called us to love people and serve people and given us spheres of influence. And so we need to walk in that And we need God's empowering, but we also need to understand it's not because of us. It's because God provides sacrifice and actually made a way and gave us his calling and forgiven us by his grace. And so they would do this in Leviticus chapter 14 or chapter 8, verse 14 through 17. And the meaning of this was that the priests were not perfect, meaning that you and I are not perfect as Christians. Let's not get all high and mighty and boastful. We are forgiven people. We are to be people that praise God. Remember that passage about royal priesthood. Why? We've been snatched from darkness into this marvelous light so that we would proclaim the excellencies, excellencies, excellencies of Jesus. I'm going to get there eventually. Jeez. <laughs> Exodus 29, verse 36 through 37 say the priests would actually repeat this in their consecration and their daily sacrifice for a whole week. They would put their hand on the head of a bull to symbolically transfer their sin to the bull, and then it would be killed because the wages of sin is death. David Guzik said the washing at the door of the tabernacle was only one aspect of the symbolic cleansing from sin. Remember point number one, the priests were washed? But there had to be punishment of the guilty, and this happened. God doesn't just forgive our sin because he's God. He's like, well, no problem. Just forget it. He's also just and holy. And there has to be a consequence for sin. And so in his mercy, in his justice, in his love, he actually embraced and took on our consequence. The Bible says on the cross, the wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus, and he died for you, 1 John 2, 2, and not only you, Christian, but for the sins of the world. And so we have to embrace this. We need to know what is happening 
on the cross and on this significance that just like the bull dying, there had to be death and sacrifice for our sins. But the Bible tells us Jesus is a better sacrifice. He, he's, he is Jesus Christ, the anointed one, and had a special task from God to seek and save the lost. And it is in his sin offering that he takes our punishment and through him alone we find forgiveness of sin. Note takers, Isaiah 53, Matthew 26, 28, 1 Peter 2, 24, Revelation 5, 6. It's a lot in there because it's so significant and important. But the reality is we must lay our hands on him. How do we do that? We identify with the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. We have to trust him to take that sacrifice for us. But the awesome thing about Jesus is the Bible says he doesn't just die continually like animals, but Hebrews chapter 7 says he died once and for all, for everyone's sin. He was the perfect lamb of God. That means you don't got to do it over and over and over and over. You just got to continue to abide and trust Christ. And he will cleanse you. He will forgive you. And he doesn't just do that with empty words. I mean, I just want you to think about the crazy thing that God, the God of the universe, like Colossians 1 chapter 16 says, it tells us that by, by everything that we know, everything, the creator of the universe, in him and through him was made on heaven and earth, invisible and visible. He used his power to love you. That is so strange and weird in our culture, isn't it? Like when you get a leader and you have power, it's usually in a selfish to gain. But, but the Bible says that Jesus came to seek and save and to serve and humbly he came to display love and to show his redemption to mankind and he saves and he would even call us as leaders. So don't lord your position over people. You be servants like I gave you the example. He used his power to love. One of the only, way, only things, sort of attributes or one of the only things that Jesus described about himself is he was humble and meek. Meek is a controlled power. He walked in such humility that he could have done whatever he wanted. He did not have to come and redeem us, but yet with the joy set before him, he endured the cross and displayed his love and used his power to be able to humble himself and fully be God, become fully man and die for sin so that we can be forgiven. Because he wasn't just going to brush off sin and say, oh yeah, you're forgiven, no big deal. There had to be a price to pay. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So it could have been your blood and my blood or his blood. And Jesus, with the joy set before him, volunteered, submitted to the Father's will, freely, joyfully, gladly went, and God became flesh and dwelt among us. He tabernacled with us, sinners, and he died for us. It's pretty awesome. It's worth praising him. This is why we serve Jesus joyfully, willfully, lovingly, because we're responding to who he is. We love because he first loved us. And the priest, this is where they were to completely dedicate themselves to God. Some people think it's like weird. Like, why would you go to service and you can do this and all this? Like, you don't understand. When you find love this great, you want to love back. You respond back. And these priests now were washed, they were sanctified, they were anointed, they were given God's grace and mercy like you and I, and now they were completely dedicated to God and wanted that. 
In verse 15 through 18, Then you shall take one of the rams, and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on their head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram, and shall take it, take its blood and throw it against the sides of the altar. Then you shall cut the ram into pieces and wash its entails and its legs and put them into pieces and its head and burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord, and it is a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. So the priest not only had a sin offering, but now there's the burnt offering. Again, we talked about this in detail, what the burnt offering is. But the burnt offering is when they offer the entire animal completely. It's given to the Lord. It's a picture of total dedication uh, implemented and found in Leviticus chapter 1. And this is a great picture of response for us to the immeasurable love that Christ has for us, a complete dedication. We now should live for God and His great love should affect our lives. Just as he completely gave himself up to us on the cross, we can now respond back. And Romans 12, 1 says, it's our reasonable act of worship now to respond in love. Don't think that you're just a weird Jesus freak because you have experienced God's love and now you want to live for him. This is what the gospel does. It, it transforms us from the inside out. I mean, don't you ever remember those late night calls with your first girlfriend or boyfriend and you're just giggling and, and just in response and love and have affection, you're just like, I don't even know what to do. Ah! Remember that? Like there is something uniquely relational about God and so many people think God is so far. We are not agnostics. We believe God is with us and he loves us and he pursues us. And this word of God teaches us that man, God is a pursuer and he's after our soul so much so that we have a choice in this thing. Like he calls, but yet we have to respond. Like we have to actually put our faith and trust. And the Bible compares it to actually an intimate relationship of a husband and wife. Jesus calls the church, you and I, the bride of Christ. His bride. He loves. He cares. He knows every single hair on our head. And I don't know about you, but like my hairs fall off all the time. I hope they stay as long as... <laughs> as long as they can but they gone they leaving and in those moments you brushing your hair when it falls off and sleeping ahead god knows every single hair and counts them the bible says as many grains of there are sand he knows thoughts and has good thoughts towards you it's normal to completely dedicate yourself to god and the cool thing is in verse 18 it says and it's a pleasing aroma the Bible says it's impossible to live, live without faith and it pleases God to live in faith. Give yourself to God and his heart. I know that everyone lets us down. I even know in our relationships that we love and are cared for, probably the closest relationship we have is a spouse. We're not perfect. We even let our spouses down. But God, the Bible says, he's the perfect father. He's the perfect partner. You could really trust him. I like that. I like that we can please God, that it's a special aroma when we give our hearts back to the Lord. He, the Bible says he rejoices even when one sinner repents. In heaven, just, just throwing crazy parties because that's how excited he is to be in relationship with us. So the question I have for here is, where do you need to surrender to obey Jesus, to respond by faith, to worship him and him alone? Well, next they were Marked with the blood. We're almost there. You guys are good students. Getting there, you know, opening the Bible and stuff like that. 
Verse 19 through 21, the priests were marked by the blood. You shall take the other ram. Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram and take part of its blood and put it on the tip of the ear of Aaron and the tips of the right ears um, of his sons and on the thumbs of their right hands and on the great toes of their right feet and throw the rest of the blood against the sides of the altar. Then you shall take part of the blood that is on the altar and of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and his sons and his son's garments with him. He and his garments shall be holy and his sons and his uh, son's garments with him. God wanted the priest to be marked or affected by this great sacrifice, by the blood being shed. So much so he told Moses in this section, put it on the tip of their right ear, their thumb, their right thumb, and their right toe. Now we know that the right arm of God or something that's a, a power of, of, of authority, a power of strength. Um, the dominant hand in most people is your right hand. Uh, these priests were to be stained or marked by the blood of the sacrifice. David Guzik said they should, have, um, they should hear differently because of the blood on their ear. They should work differently because of the blood that was on their thumb. And they should walk differently because the blood was on their toe. God wanted the life of the sacrificial victim to be marked uh, and be consecrated for him. Now Leviticus 17.11 is one of those many passages that the Bible talks about this principle that life is in the blood. If you have no blood, you have no life. Leviticus 17.11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the life. And so the, the question is, is, has Jesus' life marked you? Has it affected you? His blood. Are you, are you allowing his word to touch your ears and hearing from him? Are, are you walking in the good works that he's called you to? And where you're going or maybe what you're doing with your hands. What have you been called to do? Have you invited Jesus in that space of not just where you're going, but what you're to do? We need to be people that have Jesus' life mark us, affect us. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.15, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. We should be marked by our greatest sacrifice, Jesus, the Lamb of God, and the work on the cross for all to see. And it should affect what we see, how we speak, where we walk, what we do. God wanted these priests to be marked by that, and he wants us to be marked by Jesus. Lastly, the priests were fed. Verses 22 through 28, and then 31 through 34. I know y'all were thinking, how is he going to get all this done? The priests were fed in this long section. Let's read it. You shall also take the fat from the ram and the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them and the right thigh, for it is a ram of ordination. And the one loaf of bread and one cake of bread made with oil, one wafer out of the basket of unleavened bread that is before the Lord. You shall put all of these in the palms of Aaron and on the palms of his son. 
and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. Then you shall take them from their hands and burn them on the altar of the top of the burnt offering as a pleasing aroma before the Lord. It is a food offering for the Lord. You shall take the breast of the ram and Aaron's ordination and wave it for a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion. And you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering that is waved and the thigh of the priest's portion that is contributed from the ram ordination. For what was Aaron and his sons? It shall be for Aaron and his sons a perpetual due uh, from the people of Israel, for it is a contribution. It shall be a contribution from the people of Israel from their peace offering, their contribution to the Lord. Uh, drop down, because we read 29 and 30, to 31 through uh, 35. You shall take the ram of ordination and boil its flesh in a holy place. And Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket in the entrance of the tent of meeting. They shall eat those things with which atonement was made at the ordination and consecration, but, at, but an outsider shall not eat of them because they are holy. And if any of the flesh of the ordination or of the bread remaining until the morning, then you shall burn the remaining with fire and it shall not be eaten because it is holy. Okay, long section, but let me just break it down so you understand what you just read. This lax section describes um, the priest and how they were fed by the work that they did. Okay, Uh, verses 22 through 28 describes sort of like a wave offering. They're presented for the Lord a wave offering. Part of that second ram, um, the best parts, was put together with the cake, with the wafers, with the bread, um, and they were waved before the Lord. This was symbolic, uh, uh, a symbolic act uh, indicating that the offering was for the Lord, and then they would burn it on the altar. So it had an aspect of the burnt offering. It would be consumed, and it would be done but they wouldn't burn all of the animal, all of the cakes, all of the oil, all of these different things. They will weigh before the Lord, give him a piece, but the rest of the meat and the bread was released to the Levites and the priest and the families. This is what verse 31 through 34 talk about. It was given to them and those involved in the work. The idea was that they were to be, uh, as they were to serve the Lord, the priests, God would provide for them and the work that they were called to do. I know oftentimes we get really scared about this because sometimes God calls us to do things that don't pay a lot of money. And that's okay. He provides. As these priests were ministering and doing what God called them to do, God would provide. Even if you think about a pastor and his role and even how we do tithes and offerings, we don't pass a plate and we just say, give unto the Lord his worship and we trust God to provide. And he does, and he's faithful to help us pay for this building and insurance and screens and worship and instruments and whatever it may be. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it trends out of grain or the labor deserves his wages. And so the Bible actually says, as these other people were worshiping God and bringing their offering, like the peace offering, actually that will go now to the priest and provide. Just like your guys' tithes and offerings is unto the Lord. We don't know how much you give or when you give or what that's between you and the Lord is your worship to him. And with those funds, it provides salary. It provides us to do ministry and we're all worshiping God together. And so I know there's a lot of offerings, peace offering, and this person, and the wave offering that. But 
I got to sum some stuff up. God wants to provide for them to serve him. God wants to provide for you when you worship him and serve him. The great calling is not just for a pastor or just for a missionary, but God has gifted you guys in certain business and skill and whatever it may be. And as you worship him and honor him with your finances, he'll provide for you. You can trust him with your tithes and offerings, with your finances, with your life, with your children. You can worship him. And this second ram that God told them that they would need was actually to provide for their practical needs to serve as a fellowship offering. Verses 31 through 34. They would, they would take the remaining meat and they would eat it before the Lord and it was different than the bull they used for the sin offering. This offering was about feasting and it's a picture of us to continue to partake in Christ after we're saved. Because so often we forget about this. We need to continue to abide and to serve and to walk with God and to trust God and have fellowship with Jesus. Just like when we call out to him to ask us to forgive us of our sin, God says, will you just trust me and, and, and walk with me and worship me in those ways too? And give your time to, to sing praises or to give offerings or to be in fellowship with other people or actually confess your sin before other people and let them know you. You, you will see an intimacy throughout Scripture that God wants. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said, let not this distinction be forgotten. The eating of the sacrifice is not intended to give life. For no dead man can eat, but to sustain the life which is there already. A believing look at Christ makes you live, but spiritual life, it must be fed and sustained. We don't just come to Christ for spiritual life and then think about heaven. He sustains our life. So are you feasting and are you abiding in Christ? Are you serving him? Are you relying on the work he's called you to do? whatever it may be, because he promises an abundant life and you can trust him. You can feast on him. Well, verses 35 through 37, they tell us really that this happened for seven days. We don't have to read those texts to read that and understand that seven is a, is a picture of completion to rely on the sacrifices and to abide in Christ daily is the idea. They were to do this continually to make sure they were feasting on him continually. And then verse 38 through 42 tell us that once this ordination happened, in these seven days, the priest offered these sacrifices every day, again, showing us the importance of daily walking with God, like, I don't know, 1 John 2, 6 says, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1. And so some may say, well, what about the Sabbath day? What about taking off? The Bible tells us in the New Testament that Jesus is our Sabbath rest, that we don't take days off from being Christians. We may take days off from working, but we always go and trust in the work that God did. It's like sometimes I'm a board member. When I taught you that new song, I was at Lake Worth Christian School. I'm a board member there. They have board meetings on Mondays, and Mondays is my Sabbath day. Sometimes my kids are like, why are you going to do that on your Sabbath day? And I'm like, well, I'm still a Christian on my Sabbath day. I hope you all realize this. When you, re when you lead this long service and you go and have your week, you're still a Christian, right? You still represent Jesus. You still like understand that. And so like the, this, the idea is, hey, every single day, whatever they're doing, verse 41 tells us it's again, a pleasing aroma. Just like Ephesians 5, 2 says, your walk with God is a pleasing aroma. As you take the truths of God and you, you practice them out. Well, let me read these final verses, 43 through 46, and give you this point. God dwelling with people. 
Because I think this is the whole process of the priesthood, the tabernacle, what it's all about. Verse 43 through 46 It says, There I met with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting in the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate and serve me as priest. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them, I and the Lord their God. Why would would this need to be a public demonstration Because God wanted people to know that he was their God. That he dwelt with them. Sinful people. Broken people. They were slaves. Just like you and I were slaves of sin. But we've been set free. Now we're slaves of righteousness. God loves us so much. So much so that he made a way to do it by implementing this sacrificial system for the nation of Israel. And he was dwelling with them in the tabernacle. This crazy portable system. But it shows that God loved them because he wanted to dwell with them. Just like God loves us and wants to dwell with us, sinful people. We don't have to be perfect to to know God. We can trust his work and be forgiven, and he loves us. While we were yet enemies of him, Christ died for us, so much so that he made a way to forgive sin. He shed his own blood. There was a great sacrifice to atone for our sin. God in flesh, Jesus, dwelt among us, tabernacled with us to seek, to save, and to redeem us because God really loves us this much. He wants to be your God. He wants you to follow him. Thank you, Jesus, so much that you rose again, that you're with us. We just pray, God, as we continue to abide in you, that we would understand that you can consecrate us, that you can set us apart that you change our lives, you transform us. I pray now, God, as we just close with communion, that you would help us to see the great love that you have for us and that we would identify and receive that love. Just as we receive forgiveness from you, receive filling from your spirit, Lord, you died and you rose again and you are alive and you want to meet us right here uh, in the 21st century, 2023. And you'll be faithful not only to this generation, but the next generation and the next generation until you come back. And so you said, until, we come, until you come back, Lord, we are to do this. We can ask you for help. We can ask you to set us apart. We can ask God and say, use us for your glory. And that's what we want to do. And so as we sing this last song, as we receive the elements, may we just continue to uh, worship you, to give our hearts and lives to you. And we just thank you for this time. We thank you, God, for speaking to us. And we pray you do so just as we uh, close out celebrating your great love for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Williams at Redemption Church in Delray Beach. Thank you so much for listening to that message. We pray it was an encouragement. It was a blessing to you as we love to pursue and to proclaim Jesus together. And so no matter where you're listening, whether it be YouTube or our podcast, you can go to more resources at redemptiondb.com and even partner with us in ministry to pursue and to proclaim Jesus. God bless you. And thank you so much for listening.